Hi everyone, lovely to connect with you. We are going to look at the book of James. I'm really excited about this because actually this was Andrew's idea, his vision. He's been sitting in James and is really inspired by the letter at the uh, middle to the end of the New Testament. But I love this letter too, so it feels really fitting for this season and a real privilege to go through it. I am going to bring an introduction and then this week, because we're going to have a shorter talk, we're going to go for a Zoom communion so we can all connect in like that, and then we're going to go through the letter to James, which is a lovely letter, it's about five chapters, so a great opportunity to dig deep into a very pertinent part of the New Testament. Now, if I, I, we talked about this, Chris and I, on our video that we put out in the fortnightly thought so excuse me if you've watched this um already this analogy but i wanted to see if people could put in the comments other analogies that they have as well so i talked about when you run a marathon apparently this is awful you should never do this i've never run a marathon so but apparently theoretically conceptually about 20 miles out of the 26 you hit something called the wall where you think you're going to die and you can't carry on but when you get through that that's when you've sort of broken through that period and then you, you have the momentum, the adrenaline to finish well. I can relate one that I shared as well in rowing, where rowing is kind of cardio for a long time. So it's very challenging in that way. And I used to row at university and there were 2K races, which is 2,000 metres, and about 1,500 metres you think you're going to die. And you can't see the finish line because you're facing the other way. It's, this is an eight boat. And you have the cocks at the other end. They can finish. They can see the finish line and they count out. They shout out, push for 10. And at exactly the same time, if you're a good boat, you pull your blade. You have one blade, each eight in the, in the boat. And you pull your blade and every pull you get gain 10 metres. So if you push for 10, you gain 100 metres. You're now at 1,600 metres. You've got a bit of adrenaline and momentum. You get you up, up to 1,700 metres. By now, psychologically, you know the finishing line is in sight, even though you can't see it. And that is enough energy to dig deep and get you over. And I think we're at this stage now in the having to navigate the COVID pandemic. We're at that wall, that push for 10, where we just want to be with each other properly and in the way humans are designed to be with each other, close, affectionate, intimate, and as large extended family. And the finishing line is in sight, but we can't necessarily see it. We just have heard this push for 10, and we've just got to dig deep and do everything we can to still keep connecting with God and one another. So what I'd love you to do is put some comments up of any other thing you can think of that has a similar analogy. And I'm going to give two more while you're thinking. It doesn't have to be in the area of fitness or exercise. It could be in other areas. One area is a butterfly pushing through out of a cocoon into freedom. It's a dark, very dark tomb-like place in the chrysalis, the cocoon or the butterfly or the moth, and they are beating their wings. And they... It looks so horrendous that people have actually tried to release the butterfly, but they need to beat their wings to have the capacity to exist in a 3D 
life having previously existed, if you like, only on a 2D life because they move from caterpillars to butterflies or moths. And so they are beating their wings and they, it's this excruciating process to watch, but eventually at just the right time they are released as butterflies or moths. That's a, a lovely example in nature of that, of that perseverance to the point of beyond what you think is possible and their breakthrough. And then another one in nature for me was labour pains. So I felt like you, we hear lots of stories of people like effing and blinding everyone around them, particularly their partner, when they're in acute labour without any pain relief because it is, it's very painful and you think you're going to die. And I just had this thing because words are important to me and I've had a history of using words very negatively and very critically. And I've had a bit of a, a transformation, a revelation that words are used to bring life and healing and wholeness. That's their design. And so I had this thing, whatever happens, however painful it was, I wasn't going to bring words of negativity, particularly to Chris. I was going to be honourable, even at the, the point of acute pain. And although that was challenging, it was an amazing space to mindfulness to be in during that process, because I, I was able to do that, even though I thought I was going to die before the gas and air kicked in. And these are two examples of that place of still in acute pain, acute challenge, whether it's physically or emotionally or mentally, choosing the right thing, doing, speaking the right words, being in that place of faith at the moment of feeling like everything is too much and we're breaking. The promise of James is if we do that, if we stick in that place, we come out mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that is an incredible phrase to live by. It's something I live by. I love the book of James. I've memorized portions of it. And that is an incredible verse, incredible sentence. It's sort of, there are many themes which we're going to dig into, but I think that's a key theme is if we persevere when we're tested, when the goodness of God is tested in our life, is God real? Does he exist? Because all my circumstances seem to speak against it. If we say yes and we dig deep and we keep doing the right thing, loving God, loving our neighbour, pouring out for those who are don't know they're loved, we keep doing the right thing in acute pain, we come out apparently with Christ forged in us because that was what he was like on earth in his sufferings and he enables us to have himself formed in him. And that is such an encouraging word in this season. That's why we love the book of James. Because in the ancient world, it was the, the people who were blessed, the people who could have a growth mindset, which is really not an ancient world mindset, but the people who were, were the top of the pile, both in the Greek and Roman culture and Jewish culture. If you were rich, if you were born into the right social status, if you were the person that um, for whom it felt like sunlight shone on you from the moment you were born. You were the one who was blessed. You were happy. You were favoured by the gods or Elohim, the creator. And yet here's this message, mainly to the Messianic Jewish community at this stage, the, in the AD 40s, the synagogue, if it, which is a word he uses, the meetings were mainly of Jewish believers in Jesus. We're saying the people who are blessed, who are happy and favoured are not those Counterculturally and subversively, they were the people who persevered in all kinds of trials and sufferings. So this is a real message of hope for any of us feeling like we're going through trials. It wasn't just Jane saying this. Peter says exactly the same. He says, your faith, which is being tested to show that it's gold, because you are achieving the goal, which is the restoration of your soul. Maturity, restoration, and then Paul says the same 
the, the suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, Christ-likeness. So has anyone got any comments from the natural world, from fitness, from the arts, from any area where they have seen that dynamic, where you kind of push the point of breakthrough in the impossible and you could give up and then you, you don't give up and you see a breakthrough? Yeah, so Paul says that anyone who's been through really tough times would have reached that point when they can't go on in their own strength. He's been there. And the following verse from Matthew, uh, it really speaks to that, to him for that. Uh, so it says, Matthew 5, 3, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Hmm. That's really Emily good. seconds that as well. That's amazing. And James, actually, that's really sharp because James references a lot of Matthew 7 to 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know, you're not sure what it is to follow Jesus and you just love to be told what it looks like to follow Jesus, just dig into Matthew. It's the first of the biographies of Jesus from 5 to 7. That is the manifesto for the Christian life. Everything else is pretty much a build up to it from the Hebrew scriptures and a commentary on it in the New Testament, including James. He references Matthew 5 and 6, 7 a lot. So that is absolutely sharp and then liz says for me it was that although i've had my moments of gethsemane i've never had my moments on the cross where god left me Mm, that's really amazing thanks Mm. liz thanks paul that is absolutely it that's incredible that's beautiful and you two are walking through and have walked through incredible fire and then sarah dickens says a bit like how high altitude training Harder to run at altitude and you feel really unfit, but then the benefits show when you return to the sea level. That's good. That's a good, that's a good physical fitness. Absolutely. Um, I think my brother, he can correct me if I'm wrong, he ran a marathon on the Great Wall. Did he run the Great Wall marathon in China? He certainly won one and there was definitely an altitude issue there. So yeah, totally. That's a brilliant analogy. But we want to bless and stand with our brother and sister Paul and Liz because they, they have been through this actual spiritual journey themselves and we admire you we honor you we respect you and we see this forging in you we see you're someone we people we can sit at your feet and listen to what you have to say because you've had things tested in you that are beyond human ability to bear and you're coming forth as gold so thank you for sharing so personally so three short points on introducing the book of james firstly the person James is fascinating. Firstly, it's highly unlikely he was called James. We're going to call him James. I don't know what Andrew's going to do for the rest of the series, but we'll call him James for today. This could be an urban myth, but it's clearly Yaakov, Jacob in the text. Or in fact, all the Jameses in the New Testament will be Jacob. But it may be that King James in the authorised version in 1600 just wanted his name in the New Testament. I don't know. That's an urban myth. I haven't um, based that on any historical research, just something I've heard. So anyway, James, although let's think Jacob a bit more realistic. He grew up in Jesus's family. This is utterly mind-blowing and I don't have any like enough time to imagine and and to process with you what this must have felt like to grow up. So Mary and Joseph were betrothed. uh, Mary conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was fully human, fully divine. The name Jesus is a bit unhelpful. It was actually Yeshua or Joshua more. It was a Jewish name. And after Mary gave birth to Jesus, we know that Mary and Joseph got married and had uh, had quite a large extended family, as was normal practice, the ancient world, first century Galilee in Judaism. And the older 
the half-brother of Jesus, natural brother, uh, son of Mary and Joseph, was James. He was the old, highly likely he was the oldest because in the list in Matthew 13 of Jesus's human biological family, he's the, the first on the list, along with Jude, who also writes the letter of Judah, um, who writes the letter in the New Testament, was also a half-brother of Jesus. But what's absolutely fascinating about James is he doesn't actually believe in Jesus. In fact, he, he almost mocks him. He can see there's something about him. You can't miss him. He's, he's, he's heard and seen these incredible miracles of resurrection, of feeding the 5,000, extraordinary momentum around Jesus, thousands of people wanting to be with his older brother. But when it comes to a moment of Jesus revealing himself, he politicizes it and basically says, shouldn't you now go to this feast now in Jerusalem? Because this would be the moment to show who you are. And he doesn't fundamentally believe that Jesus is the Messiah they've all been dreaming of and waiting of who would throw over the tyranny of Rome and establish independent Jewish rule. So this absolutely extraordinary event happens, which Paul talks about at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. After Jesus' resurrection, it says he appears to James on his own, a one-to-one. He goes to his brother, who doesn't believe in him, and he reveals that he is, in fact, who he says he was all along. Something massive happened in James. We don't know what it is, but we know there was a complete and thorough conversion, a transformation Jesus wasn't his older brother who had this massive movement and who was he and he was ultimately crucified. Jesus was suddenly the Mashiach, the anointed one, the Christos that they'd been waiting for for the entire, they knew the Hebrew Bible so well and they'd been waiting for this one to come. James actually turns out to be, he's quite a religious, they had quite a devout religious upbringing. They would have known the Torah and the Hebrew scriptures off by heart, only eating clean food according to the Torah, being a Sabbath and synagogue. It was very, he was very strong in his, his Judaism. And so it just must have been so mind-blowing at that moment to suddenly realise he thought got it completely wrong and actually Yeshua, Jesus, his older brother, half-brother, was in fact the one the Hebrew Bible had been pointing to, the one that David and Moses and Abraham attained to but never could quite fulfil. They were fundamentally flawed. And yet this one came who absolutely filled all the dreams and the hopes and the aspirations of the Hebrew Bible. And it was his older half-brother. Amazingly, at the beginning of his letter, he actually doesn't call it reference his biological connection at all. He calls himself the doulos, the servant of Jesus, with this incredible humility. That moment, everything changes for him. He's one of the 120 gathered in the upper room at the beginning of Acts at the Feast of Shavuot or Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. He's filled with the Spirit. He's part of the, the, the Jewish church in Jerusalem. About 10 years later, when Peter and James and John, who are Jesus's uh, three closest friends and followers, tragically ha- um, witnessed the martyrdom of James, under the leadership of Herod and Peter has to leave the city. James, Jesus' brother, rises up and becomes a leader in the Jerusalem church for about 20 years. He's seen as a pillar. He has real concern for the poor when he, he mobilize, he supports Paul's mobilization of a, of a, a, a collection for the poor amongst the Gentile churches because there's a horrible acute famine in Jerusalem. And he's called the just. Some people call him camel knees because he was on his knees praying so much that his, his knees got hard. And he was just an incredible man of faith. Many thousands of, of Jewish people were followers of, 
of Yeshua, Mashiach, Jesus the Messiah under his leadership at that time. However, as with all movements that are grassroots, the political elite were threatened. And according to Josephus, he was martyred, a Jewish historian, in AD 62. According to later church tradition, AD 69. Either way, he was martyred just before the desolation of Jerusalem under the Roman Empire. So an extraordinary man, an extraordinary journey. And his letter is just full of this kind of heart. It touches on the, the, all aspects of the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, the spirit of the Torah, to love your neighbour, uh, love God and love your neighbour as yourself, the, the Hebrew prophets that cry out for justice to the poor and the oppressed, and the wisdom literature, most of all, teaching us how to live a wise life, use wise words, and be gentle and patient in suffering. Incredible collection of themes and references culminating in Matthew 5, as I said, 6 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's his, that's the person, that's his uh, letter, some of the themes he brings in the context of the politics where the, the rich and the wealthy were blessed. And the poor and the oppressed were seen as cursed. He brings this incredibly encouraging, hopeful message of actually in God's kingdom, the upside down kingdom of Matthew 5 to 7. The blessing is in fact not where we think it is at all. It's in fact in that place of fiery trial, in that place of persecution and oppression. They suffered physical, physically in a famine in Jerusalem and persecution through the authorities not being happy with their, their movement. So there's this beautiful, to tie it all together, there's this beautiful theme and goal that comes out at the beginning of James and the end of James. It's really lovely when you read sections of scripture, there's a technique called parallelism where the beginning and the end or the middle bits reflect each other and add to each other. And we tend to read chronologically A, B, C, but the Bible tends to be written things like A, B, C, B, A. And so if you look at the first chapter of James and the fifth, you see this parallel theme. What is the point? The point is there is a place we can be in the human condition and it's called maturity. There is a completeness that is available to us. The, the, if we go to James 1 now, we've touched on this, this verse. I'll read it out. It's the beginning of James. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That word, mature, teleon, Jesus also uses, um, he doesn't preach in Greek, or we don't know which language he preached in, but it was put down in Greek in Matthew 5, may have been Aramaic or common Greek. But that word in the Greek means mature. It means the end point, the goal, what we're actually going towards. And what I'm reading at the moment, so classic, is the seven habits of highly effective families. I'm not actually massively familiar with the very popular seven habits, so it's quite a nice way in. I think it's essentially the seven habits and then a lot of illustrations for families. It's really, really inspiring. But habit two, which I'm on at the moment, is exactly that. It's begin with the end in mind. There you go. Begin with the end in mind. 
If we want to establish ICM in this chapter, it will be an effective family that's happy, there's a fun, lovely, relaxing, productive, prolific family atmosphere. One of the key habits, I assume he's saying, is have a vision for what you want your family to be like. And I think that's rooted in his seven habits of highly effective people. If you want to be a highly effective person on earth, have an end goal of what that looks like, a teleon a maturity, a completeness, a a goal at the end of what that looks like. And for us as followers of Jesus, we don't need to live by principles because we live by a person. And that's where these kind of self-help books fall short because they're about the principles. We live by the person. We live in him, he sustains us and we live for him and we we are looking towards him as a fulfilment of our true humanity and his name is Jesus. He is our maturity. He is our character, to use the word that Paul uses in Romans, and he is the restoration of our souls, to use the word that Peter uses in 1 Peter. That is our end goal. That's what we're doing. That's why we can become Christ-like in COVID. We can become Christ-like when we've climbed a mountain and we're looking at the view. We can be Christ-like when we're on our own. We can be Christ-like with people we like. We can be Christ-like when we live with people we don't like. Nothing matters because this is the inner life that can be forged in us in any circumstance or situation. And that is the hope, the good news of Jesus. We are not reliant on how well everything's going outside because Christ is forged in us inside. In fact, even when that testing happens is the place where we attain to maturity and completeness, not lacking anything. In those moments of crisis where we say, I trust in your goodness, even though the world doesn't look good at the moment. I trust in your healing, even though the world doesn't look very healing at the moment. I trust in your provision, even though I can't see it at the moment. Whatever the thing is we're being tested on, if we we stand in that place of excruciating agreement against all the odds, we come through like Christ as gold because we believe in the superior reality of God's kingdom. We inhabit it and become it ourselves. And so that's really what we want to drill in on today. We want to frame a whole year on this, that we, the end game, the goal, the reason we live, the reason we die, everything we do is to be like Jesus, to be with him, to inhabit him, to have him inhabit us. And that is the good news. And nothing can take that away from us, no situation or circumstance. So let's now dig deep and say yes to that invitation to say he is our goal he is our vision he is our reason there there is no other reality he is reality when he said i'm the way the truth and the life truth and reality are the same things biblically he is reality and in him we find our reality and in the moment of testing is when we inhabit it in greater and greater measure so we say yes to him we say yes to that habit that has the, we begin with the end in mind. It's about him, about becoming like Jesus, forged into his likeness and forged into his likeness as a community of believers together. And I think when we say that, that is the trajectory that will inform the wisest, best, most beautiful, powerful life we could ever live. Let's pray. And if anyone has any prophetic words, any, as, as I was speaking or as, as anything else is going on this morning, please post them. We believe God speaks through the body and we, we, we tend to grow through contribution almost entirely. 
So this is an opportunity to contribute, listening to God, and post anything you feel God's saying. Lord, I thank you so much that this is such a message of hope for anyone going through trials or suffering or loss. That this is the place of growth. That this is the place of blessing and favour, contrary to the worldview in the ancient world. And, and contrary often to still mindsets today, that it's the place of trial, that true maturity is formed, character is formed, restoration occurs. And so I bless us all in these, this season of trial, whatever that looks like. And we all experience pain in different ways. It's hard to share it. It's very, very personal. And there's, in a sense, there's no such thing as, as saying my pain is the same as yours. But it is about saying when we're in pain, trusting, we say yes to you, being able to forge Christ in us through this, that we come forth as gold. And we say yes to partnering with each other and cherishing each other in, their pla- in places of pain. As we said in the video, um, mourning with those who are suffering, who literally inhabit the suffering, the passion of Christ. We, 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 we command that we're a, a resilient, robust body that can do this together, that can fight this fight together, can walk this walk together, break through together, come forth restored with character and maturity together. Thanks, Alice. So we're going to finish our stream in a minute and switch over to, um, to Zoom at quarter to 12 uh, for a communion. Just a couple of things to mention before we do, um, uh, which is, uh, I think we have, is it the women's uh, Zooms this week, Alice? Yep. Yeah, so it's a Tuesday morning, a Thursday morning one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also in terms of how we can, this position of being able to serve the city and help others in, in, this, in this challenging time. So you got something? Yep, so Dan has just posted... Uh, Kate. <laughs> nice that. Dan and Kate. I had the sense during worship that the Holy Spirit of resurrection lives in us from Romans 8, 11. Mm. Um, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Amen. And reminded of when Jesus said to the little girl, Tabitha Kumi, arise. It's the spirit of overcoming and hope arising for this time. That, yeah, that's really beautiful. Mm. So let's, let's take that word. Let's meditate on Romans 8, but particularly that, that 8, 11 that the same spirit, the Holy Spirit of resurrection lives in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Mm. And then Bex as well. Even when we feel as though we're looking up at the bottom, there is the one who not only sits beside us and hovers over us, but is the foundation, hope and comfort beneath us. Lovely. That's amazing. Mm. That is amazing that we're held underneath of the everlasting arms. Yeah. Reminds me of Corrie ten Boom in the prison camps under Nazi Germany saying there wasn't, there wasn't anywhere dark, too dark for God's hands beneath mm. to hold them up. It's incredible mm. gospel, isn't it? Yeah. So, and then some practical things, you know, the outworking of the life that we live in light of this gospel that, is, that, that changes us. Um, Andy Street, who some of you will know, is, is um, a Christian who's quite connected in the city. And I was asking him last week, how can we serve the city? Are there, are there particular needs uh, that, that, are, that the council, for example, is highlighting at the moment that the church of Bristol can help with? And he, he came back with three things, more details to follow, but to have these on your radar. Uh, laptops, there's a, there's a laptop shortage for a lot of families um, who are having to do school at home. 
And so if you have spare laptops or old laptops or wanted to buy a new laptop, um, there are places that we can donate those so that they can be um, uh, given as gifts to households who don't have enough devices to do um, to do the homeschooling stuff. So that's a very practical thing. Uh, and the, uh, two other things were um, Kintsugi, I think that's pronounced right, Hope, um, is uh, a ministry looking at mental health and, uh, and, and working on that. That's one other thing. And the third thing was, I think, I think again, connecting with TLG around um, uh, children who are finding school difficult, uh, vulnerable, from vulnerable places and so on, and mentoring of, of, of children, I think, secondary and primary schools. So more details to come on that, but I know a lot of people within Hope are passionate about how we can practically be involved. And of course, we're, we're already practically involved with the night shelter, which starts tonight, first night tonight. And so we think aware of that. It's great to be part of that. And if you're if you haven't connected yet but would like to, then connect with Kate. So I think we'll, we'll finish there. Some practical things following on from the, the, the personal um, message that Alice brought coming from the, the book of James. And uh, so the Zoom details for our, our, um, our communion, uh, which is at 11.45, are in the comments, but earlier on in this and in the fortnightly email. And uh, it's a good way to join you. So you. Bring along some, have some juice or some wine and some, some bread or cracker or something like that ready to, to share communion together. See you in a bit.